Welcome to Graduating Grief, a podcast designed to help you step back into living your life with joy after loss. If you're ready to move from surviving to thriving, you've come to the right place. Here's your host and inspirationista, Sherry Dunlevy. Hi, everyone. It's Sherry Dunleavy, your Inspirationista, and I want to welcome you to another edition of the Graduating Grief Podcast. Janet Finacki is my guest today. I am talking to her about resilient people, and she knows a thing or two about this, not only because she has become one and is raising her children to become resilient people, but she also hosts a podcast called Resilient People, we're going to talk about this because this is an important component to graduating grief. Janet, welcome. Hi, Sherry. So nice to be with you today. Thanks for having me. So tell me, resilient people, did you think about yourself as a resilient person prior to uh, what happened in your life? Yeah, I would say I definitely did. I come from a line of resilient women on my mom's side, particularly, but, you know, my, both my parents come from immigrant families and, you know, they came to Canada with nothing. They built lives. It wasn't easy. Lots of trauma, lots of difficulties, but they moved forward. They put 10 toes on the ground and they just put one foot in front of the other. They built lives. And um, I think, you know, always kind of looking at that as inspiration uh, helped me when things were getting really tough in my life. So let's go back and talk about that a little bit. What happened in your life that led you to your new path? So in 2016, we were having a great summer. Uh, my husband and I have two children, Isabel and Sam, and um, one was starting grade 12. The other was starting grade nine. And we were enjoying our summer, but Adam was showing some different uh, characteristics. He was having a tough time hearing us at times. He was telling me he was a lawyer and um, uh, he was working on something really big at the time that he had said to me one day, I've been reading and reading for hours and I'm not absorbing anything of what I'm reading, which was really unusual for him. I chalked it up to him being exhausted. Mm-hmm. And at that time he was 47 And I just thought, geez, you know, you've been doing this for 20 something years. You know, you're just kind of hitting a wall in your life where you got to just scale it back, take some time off. He went to the doctor. The doctor thought maybe it might have been a minor stroke even. So he prescribed him baby aspirin. So after about a week of that, Adam thought, no, there's something else going on here. So he persevered to get some tests done. And at the end of August, uh, we were preparing actually to go to the U.S. Open. We uh, were invited to be in a private box, so super exciting. We were going to have the weekend in New York. I got a new outfit, and just it was going to be a lot of fun. And uh, he got the results the day before we were about to fly out. 
and he was diagnosed with um, terminal brain cancer and it was called glioblastoma. So that was the worst news that anyone can imagine getting. Uh, it was right before the school year was about to start. It was the end of the summer. And um, as I said, he was 47. Adam and I shared the same birthday. So I was 47 at the time as well. And so I was in his hospital room and I had said to him, look, okay, we know what's in front of us now. We know what we're dealing with. Let's just gather the best team of medical professionals around us and deal with it. And I think with that resolve, we just set our minds to, okay, forget what the doctors are telling us as far as the age expectancy and all that stuff. Let's just deal with whatever's in front of us. And so two weeks later, he had surgery. And then a few months after that, he started radiation and chemo. And we spent every day in the cancer center. And I spent a lot of time people watching because as you can imagine, you spend a lot of time waiting, waiting on the appointments, waiting on the pharmaceuticals to come through, waiting on lunch. And when you're waiting, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, how are all these other people dealing with what they're going through? We knew that we had a strong support network around us. As I said, we built a great team around us of medical professionals. Um, we made sure that we had the most positive friends and family around us because it was so important not just to have the quantity of people around you, but it was the quality of the people. Were they making us laugh? Were they good listeners? All those sorts of things. So, but then I started thinking not just about cancer stories, but just in general, how do people get through really difficult times? And having a PR background, I thought maybe there's something to this. Maybe if I start thinking about a couple of the people that I know and maybe blog their stories about how they overcame difficult situations, but it was more than just overcome them. It was, did they create something from that experience to help other people make it kind of a purpose for themselves? Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking, let's call it resilient people. And that was back in 2018 now. So for a couple of years, I was blogging stories and I was learning so much along the way. You know, A, you're not alone in no matter what you're going through. There's always a community out there for you. And B, just learning some of the traits and some of the daily habits of these people. You know, what makes them different? What makes them look at things differently than those people who say, I could never do what you did. I could never live through what you went through. Those were the people that I needed to either reach out to, but at the same time, keep it an arm's length because right. they weren't helpful to me. So right. that's where resilient people came from. Wow. So how long did your husband live? So he was given uh, 15 months to live. He lived for three and a half years. So at 51, he passed away just in February of 2020. Oh, so your grief is very recent. And I'm sorry for your loss. Has your blog helped you in your healing? Have you been able to take what, other, what you've learned from other people in now your journey towards healing? Very much so. Um, you know, I'm not just talking with people who have gone through cancer stories or through grief. I'm talking with people who have scaled the highest summits of the world. I'm talking with people who were born with 
uh, three limbs missing. I'm talking with people who've lived, lived through the Holocaust, and they've all gone through something that's been really hard, but they've had the resolve in their mind, that positive mindset that you can go on from this and you can carry on having a good life. And I think for Adam and I, we had many conversations over the course of when he was diagnosed to when he passed about, you know, what life should look like for me and the kids afterwards. And I think having open conversations with people is so important. You know, it's, um, you know, it wasn't just that he gave me the, the blessing to go forward and have a happy life. But I think it was just the whole idea that, yeah, you should, you know, Janet, you're going to be 51, you know, you're going to have a long life, you know, enjoy it, do things, do things with the kids. And we couldn't have anticipated that COVID and the pandemic would have hit. It was terrible timing on COVID's part. But on the flip side, it brought the kids and I together to grieve together. Um, And it brought a lot of empathy around the world to people, you know, to really reach out to people that maybe you don't normally reach out to, to be there for one another. So I've learned a lot of, of course, from the blog and now from the podcast, it's been phenomenal for me, cathartic for sure. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I'm helping other people to realize that you can move forward has really been great. I'd like to backtrack a little bit because something that you said, I think was, was, was kind of a key. And you said, you know, people will say, I could never do what you do. And I, and I remember people saying, you're so strong. I could never survive the loss of my child. And I think what they're saying is, I don't ever even want to entertain the idea that that could happen to me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But I do think that you do have a choice Um, because there are some people who can move forward and then there's some other people that will crawl up and, and then there are two deaths, you know, the death inside of you and the death of your loved one. Um, and so I do believe that we, we do have a choice, um, but that there, there is a strength that you gain from this kind of adversity uh, that that lends to this resiliency. I think you're right about that. I think um, you're going to be either the type of person, like you said, that you're going to crawl up into a ball, or you're going to just put your cape on and you're going to fight it. And I mean, Adam at the time he was he was the patient, and I was very conscious of that. I wanted to do whatever I could to be his advocate. I went to all the appointments with him just to give him that strength to know that somebody was by his side helping him through this. Um, But as I said earlier, you know, having that positive circle around us helped us to stay strong so much. It wasn't just, you know, the, the meals that would be dropped off voluntarily on the porch. It was just, you know, the fact that somebody might text you once a day just to say, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Knowing that we had those people around us, helped us to stay strong. Um, And for him to have that circle was one thing, for me to have that circle was a whole other thing. And for me to know that my children had circles around them was very important. Um, I remember my mom actually saying to me, because she was the first person I called when Adam had told me the news, I was actually driving in the car when he had said to me, do you want to hear now or do you want to hear when you get here to the hospital? 
And I pulled over and I said, just tell me now, because I felt like for him to hold on to that on his own was just too much. So when he told me, I called my mom. The first thing that my mom had said to me was, what do I tell people? And she comes from that generation, right? Where you didn't share, you kind of sucked it up and you had to deal with your, your battles on your own to a certain degree. And I said to her, you tell everybody, you know, and you build your village. And you know what? Her friends rallied around her. They called her, they checked in on her. And at the funeral, I saw many of them and I thanked them. I said, thank you for being there for her because I knew I couldn't absorb everybody's, everybody's grief. Right. I had Adam's family. I had my family. I had his friends. I had my friends. I had the neighbors. I'm one person who's trying to deal with my own grief. And the grieving started on that first day of diagnosis. So it was three and a half years of it, plus when he passed. So yeah, it was important for me to say to people, and I told his family the same, please make sure that you have support around you. I mean, I'm here to answer whatever questions I can about the medical appointments, but you need to know that you've got people around you that are there for you. Oh, that is the most wonderful advice ever. Um, how that came to you, I, I don't know, but that's beautiful advice to pass on to someone who, who might be going through something similar is that, you know, you, you, you can't just be there for each other. You have to have other people that are there for each individual. You have to, to have your people. You have to have your circle. You have to have your circle. It's, there's, a, there's a therapist in the States called Susan Silk, and she came up with this ring theory, which basically is like you have the ring in the center, which is the person who's the vulnerable one. And then, you know, you've got rings around each of those rings. And, you know, whatever ring is closest to that person, they're dealing with those people. And then the ring around those people, those inner rings are dealing with, you know, it, you just, you can't be the person in the center who's dealing with all the rings. It's impossible. I mean, you could try, mm -hmm. but eventually you're going to burn out. And, you know, generally with, well, with Adam anyway, I mean, there were many days of good news, you know, because when the scans were really clear, of course, we're celebrating, you know, get dinner out, whatever. Um, but, you know, on the, on the many times that it wasn't good news, just imagine, you know, being that one person who's delivering that bad news to everybody all the time. It's not, it's not fun. And, you know, you got to think about your own self-care. You really do. It's not being selfish and you shouldn't feel guilty for it. You have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself because if you want to be the love and support for that person, you can't do it if you're ill, injured, you know, exhausted. You can't think clearly. You can't make clear decisions. You can't make, you know, like you are of no use to anyone in a depleted yeah. state, right? So yeah. let's, let's talk about now your children. Mm -hmm. because you you say that it's very important that you raise resilient children and 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 what i what i want to make clear to people who are listening in that resiliency in no way cancels out pain or grief you still mm -hmm. felt that right like it doesn't mean that you're immune to it or that you've uh just decided not to deal with that part of it it means that you've decided to do the work through it to 
become the resilient person, to become the stronger person. Am I correct in, in that assumption? Yeah, I would say, and I think you can identify with this as well, you know, grief doesn't go away. It surfaces in different sorts of ways throughout your life. As you said, I've only been uh, without Adam now for just over a year, but I know for the rest of my life that, that I will miss him. You know, we had a great relationship. We had a great friendship. Uh, we had a great family, but at the same time, life goes on and there are many things to celebrate in the course of your life. You know, we, we've had birthdays, we've had Mother's Days, we've had Father's Days, we had Christmas without him. And, you know, it was, I think the starting point was professional therapy for myself and for the kids. And that started actually when Adam was still with us, the idea that I knew that I was going to lose him and that it was only going to get harder as the time got closer because his illness was going to be that much worse, that I needed somebody who wasn't a friend, wasn't family, just completely unbiased and was almost, Sherry, I kid you not, I went and there were a few therapists that I used because I thought, okay, you know, the cancer center offered me six sessions with one. So I'm like, I'm grabbing that. I don't care who it is. I need somebody who knows cancer, knows this thing that I'm going through. This poor, she was a PhD student. I don't think I've ever cried like that in my entire life for a full hour. The next session, I went back and she said, oh, you seem so much better. And I said, yeah, I think because you were that sponge for me. You took everything that I've been holding for months and you just, you let me release it. And, but, you know, that was a process, you know, we had more sessions, you know, to come. My uh, physician recommended a counseling service for me and the kids. And I really encouraged them to take part in that. I said, there is no shame. And I'm so grateful that we're raising kids in an age where mental health is so important. It's, it's a game changer, I think, for this generation to know that they've got all kinds of counseling available to them online, in person, over the phone, and that they can share how they're feeling. You know, sometimes somebody had actually shared with me something interesting that I never thought about that they said, um, you're not going to realize that your kids are just as worried about the parent that's left behind as the fact that they're grieving the one that's left. And I thought, oh my God, I never thought about that, you know? And I'm experiencing something like that very similar right now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You just, you're you're worried. I mean, you, you worry about both of them. And, and I think that maybe even the younger, the child, they're, they're also like in the back of their head, if I could lose one, I could lose another, you know? Mm. It's just all kinds of mind games that go on. So yes, taking care of that mental health. So taking care of the mental health is huge. And, you know, reaching out to, I don't know many of their friends, parents, but the ones that I did know, just to say, if you could just make sure that your child can think about, you know, my kids, you know, just just to, you know, check in on them. And, you know, they've got great set of friends. So, I mean, there was no concern about that. Something that I thought was really amazing, though, that happened a few months after the funeral, because, I mean, when a funeral happens, you get lots of things delivered to the house. And it's either to the family or it's to the spouse, 
right? Mm -hmm. In my case, that's what happened. There was a gorgeous floral arrangement that arrived and it was for the kids. And it was a friend of my husband's who just said, just to let you know that we're thinking about you. And it was just addressed to them. And I thought, that's somebody who really gets it, you know, like, yeah, that was very moving for me. Right. Yeah. It's, um, that's, in fact, that's why I wrote my book, How Can I Help? Because there's so many times that people don't know what to do or say. And there's so many people who stop at the funeral home, <laughs> you know, like they, that they, they've, they've done their, their duty. Right. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's when the dust clears and when the calm sets in that the grief really starts to take over and take root. Right. Yep. Adrenaline is getting you through and really being lifted up and loved through it to that point. But then there's this drop-off point. And it's like, oh, this is, this is the real, this is the real now. And I feel alone. And so to, to have that uh, gesture of kindness and care and concern that says, no, this isn't the drop-off point. We're still carrying you. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's really a day-to-day, you know, it's easy to kind of, you know, get, you know, just in your wheel of, you know, chores and work and whatever. And, you know, it helps to get you through the days. But then there are those days, you know, where they, you don't see them coming or the holidays that are coming up or the special days like Valentine's Day or, or the Mother's Days, you know, and to have those friends that just out of the blue will check in or drop in on the driveway or just say, hey, do you want to do a Zoom drink? I mean, with COVID, you know, we're back in lockdown in Toronto, so we can't gather, but hey, a FaceTime or Zoom drink for me is just as good as getting together sometimes. And, but just knowing that you've got those people that are that empathetic and aware of what you might be going through is huge for somebody who's grieving. So let me ask you, and and thank you for sharing your story with me. And let me ask you, are there a couple of commonalities or traits that you find among resilient people that you can share with our listeners today that maybe if they don't feel so resilient, if they maybe take these as golden nuggets, you know, and open their mind and their heart to these, that maybe they can start their journey towards becoming more resilient. Yep. So I would say across the board, they're all active daily to some degree, physically active, whether they're doing yoga, whether they're doing a walk every day, there is something to be said about clearing your mind Mm -hmm. and getting out of your space, whether if it's for 20 minutes a day, or if it's an hour a day, if it's at the beginning, or if it's at the end of the day. And I think that is one common thing that I've seen across the board, you know, they, they feel that that element of self care is very important to them. They also um, volunteer, whether it's um, for something that's from their lived experience, you know, whether it's, you know, me, for example, getting involved in the brain cancer community and helping them with putting together their handbook for patients and caregivers, 
or if it's something completely different that you're doing, you know, maybe a COVID effort, you know, gathering food for people that are financially strapped, you know, something that is getting you out of your current, you know, whatever you're thinking about and helping others is another common thing. It's interesting because um, Joe Biden, when he was campaigning, uh, I remember one quote because I'm, I'm a political junkie, but I remember one thing that he had said was, um, the best way through uh, loss and grief is through purpose. And I think that with the resilient people that I speak with, that's one big thing for them, starting every day with a purpose. Um, having the idea that it's not just, you know, doing a podcast or doing something big like a big fundraiser. It could just be having your to-do list for the day and making sure you're checking them all off, that you're getting through it having a purpose so that it doesn't have you kind of sitting in a quarter thinking about your sorrow or your grief or whatever it is. I mean, getting yourself up and doing mm -hmm. is another thing that the resilient people are very, feel very strongly about. So those were, uh, those were some of the big takeaways for me. I see your puppy in the background and, um, <laughs> that would be, uh, that would be a purpose right there. Having children would be a purpose, something bigger mm -hmm. than yourself, something outside of yourself. Um, and if you find yourself alone, right, then then find something worth giving your time or attention to. And yep. maybe adopt a, a, a puppy or yep. mentor a child or, you know, but there's always something that you can do. And I think sometimes people are paralyzed because they feel like they have to find their purpose. And I always tell people live on purpose, <laughs> live mm -hmm. with purpose, you know, that that's more important, you know, because our purpose, we could change, you know, you, your purpose was a mother for 20 years. And now, you know, if your children are move have, have grown from the nest, then obviously your purpose has to change in some way, shift in some way. Right. Yep. So don't be so focused in on your special purpose when we could be living on purpose and with purpose. Yep. And moving. You got it. Through. Anything else you would like to um, leave our listeners with that you think might be able to help them graduate from the pain of their grief and step into living and loving their life again, that either you've learned through your journey or you've learned through um, your podcast and your blogging. I think the one thing would be, and I touched on it a bit earlier was when I was talking about my mom and, and telling her to build her village is you'd be surprised once you're, once you start opening up about your story, and whatever it is that you're struggling with, when you mention it to somebody else, what might come back to you? Because mm -hmm. I can count many times now over the last few years where I'll say to somebody, and it wasn't really like me before this to kind of say, yeah, my husband's dealing with brain cancer and it's really hard. And the amount of times that somebody would say back to me, oh, my mom had brain cancer and it turns out that it was the same cancer and then we have like this moment where we start sharing and it just makes you build that community around you and a supportive community you know people who understand and 
for the first couple of weeks, it was interesting when uh, when Adam had learned about his uh, diagnosis. Other than my mom, I wasn't able to tell anybody. He didn't want me to tell anyone. He wanted to wait until he could tell people at work. Oh. And that was really, really hard. Um, but as soon as I was able to open that story up to others, I just felt like this amazing hug around me. And I would encourage anybody that please don't keep it to yourself. You'll be amazed at what you gather around you and it'll only help you move forward. Janet, thank you for spending time and sharing your, your story and um, your, your mission with all of us today. It was great to be here with you, Sherry. Thanks for the opportunity. It was a great chat. Thank you for listening to the Graduating Grief Podcast. For more information on the Graduating Grief community, workshops, and retreats, go to www.sherrydunlevy.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, and share.